You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. Well, uh, for those of you maybe who are new, I'm uh, Michael McKittrick, along with uh, Ben. We're being sent out this summer into the fall to help start Eastside Church as part of the Vine's mission to uh, make disciples and plant churches amongst neighbors and nations. And so we're part of that mission to see disciples made and a church planted on the east side of Madison. And uh, miss being here a couple of the last weeks for that as we've just been gathering in homes for our neighborhood churches. And it's been really sweet to do that. To gather in our homes, uh, around God's word, to sing, worship together, uh, and then to enjoy uh, just a great meal afterwards. We've actually been joking that one of our core values at Eastside is food, because uh, we like to eat a lot together. Um, but joking aside, it's just been really sweet to see God at work, and it's been really encouraging to know that you guys as a Vine family are praying for us, and encouraging us, and supporting us. And I know it's probably got to be a little harder to be the one sending out, as opposed to the ones going out. And so I just want to say thank you for the way that you've just supported and prayed for us, encouraged us, and just to say it's really good to be with you this morning. Uh, this morning we're going to continue in our series in the Gospel of Matthew. You can flip over to Matthew chapter 6 if you have a Bible with you, but just to recap, and maybe if you haven't been present with us, Jesus is in this extended section of teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. And he's been really just laying out what his kingdom is like, what his, what his people are meant to be like. And he started it off by giving a bunch of statements of blessing. This is what the blessed life looks like. This is what it looks like to enjoy the blessings of being in my community. And then he calls his people, his community, to be lights in the dark. A city on a hill that stands out as it brings blessing to the world. And in order to stand out, you have to be different. So it's not just enough to keep the letter of God's Old Testament law, but to really see God's heart behind it and fully live it out. So it's, it's not enough to just not murder. No, we can't have or harbor anger in our hearts. It's not enough to avoid committing adultery. It's to have pure hearts that are free of lust. It's not enough to just love your neighbor, as difficult as that sometimes is. No, we're called to love our enemies. And in that way, we'll, we'll stand out. But now in chapter 6, Jesus is going to kind of turn the corner and address another potential danger. And it's not the danger of maybe blending in and not standing out, but actually standing out for the wrong reasons. He's going to address our heart, our motives. And so before I read from Matthew 6, let me just pray and ask God to help us lean in. And allow his word to help us see our hearts rightly this morning. Father, thank you this morning for just a beautiful day. It's a gift from your hands. And we're thankful for the gift of your word. Which you say cuts deep into us. And exposes our hearts. And so would you do that this morning? Show us our hearts in light of your word. Knowing that your love will meet us with whatever is exposed. And you have grace to transform us as we lean in. So Holy Spirit, take my feeble words and make them your words. So that all of us can become more like Jesus. 
We pray this for your glory, Father. Amen. Well, let me read Matthew chapter 6. I'm just going to read the first verse initially because this kind of sets up the whole section we'll be in over the next couple of weeks. And we're going to spend some time just getting our, our feet set there before we dive into how Jesus then applies it to the topic of giving this morning. So Matthew 6, verse 1, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So he's saying here, there's not just a danger of blending in, but there's a danger of performing your good deeds, performing your righteousness, your right acts, but in such a way in front of others to be seen by them that actually is damaging and destructive because you're doing it for self instead of pointing people to your father. And so he's going to tackle three topics, giving, prayer, and fasting, which were really common in his day. And maybe right away the question pops into your mind is, well, wait a minute, Jesus, what's going on? Because I, I think I remember you saying, Back in chapter 5, verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your, your Father who is in heaven. So which is it? Are we supposed to do this in front of everyone to see or are we supposed to do it privately? Well, it, it comes down to the motive. Because see, in chapter 5, we desire, he says, for people to see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. And in chapter 6, he's saying, the temptation is you do it in front of others in order to be seen by them. It's the motive. Do you want people to see your Father in heaven or you? What Jesus is talking about really is he's saying you've got a choice. Uh, the choice is between being a mirror and a painting. You can see the difference, right? A mirror is designed to show you something other than itself. You generally probably don't stand in front of your mirror and admire the mirror and be like, wow, look at how pretty that glass is. It's so smooth. It's so reflective. You don't do that. When you're looking at the mirror, you're looking at what it's reflecting. It's meant to point attention away from itself to something else. And Jesus says, that's what you're called to do. People are supposed to look at you and see the reflection of your Father in heaven. They're not supposed to see you. That's not where their eyes are meant to, to land at the end of the day. But a painting is totally different, right? A painting, if it could talk, would say, look at me. I am amazing. I am beautiful. I am a work of art. You should spend lots of money on me. Look at my colors and textures and the paint strokes, right? It's all about looking at the painting. It's a, it's a self-focus. And you can imagine if, say, your mirror at home suddenly developed a personality and a consciousness and decided it wanted to become a painting. And so it painted itself. And the next morning you wake up and you go to look in the mirror and instead there's like a painting. It wouldn't be a very useful mirror anymore. It actually, the paint would cover up its job of reflecting, right? And Jesus is saying the same way, it doesn't matter if what you paint is good works because then the tension's still on yourself. Your job is to be a mirror reflecting him. And the mirror would lose its purpose if it covered itself in paint. And so Jesus warns in, in verse 1 that if you, instead of directing the glory to God, take the praise, the glory, the, the, the fame, the applause for yourself, then he says you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. 
You've departed from your purpose. You're not going to hear well done from your father. So I think it's really helpful to understand it's, Jesus is not saying we can't do anything in public. What he is saying is the reason matters. We can't do it for public approval. Because at the end of the day, you can't serve two masters. Your life can't be all about, on the one hand, pointing people to God, and on the other hand, being all about drawing attention. You can only do one or the other. You can't do both. And so there's this sobering word, I think, for us this morning. That we can, on the outside, have everything looking good, but our hearts can be off on the inside. And then even our good deeds become twisted. The, the term that Jesus used to describe this kind of person is a hypocrite, right? Definitely not a compliment, right? We know what a hypocrite is, someone who tends to say one thing and do another, but the term originally actually comes from the Greeks, and it's the word for actor. It's the person who puts on a mask and gets on a stage and becomes somebody else for that play. And then when the play is over and they get the applause, they take the mask and go back to being who they are. And Jesus says in the same way that actually you can become an actor. You can do good things just as an act. You put on the mask, even the mask of good religious things. You perform for the applause of the audience and you go back and actually corrupts the good that you're going to do. And Jesus instead is going to offer us something better. It's the way of not of the actor, but the way of a child. And you see then how over and over in chapter 6, Jesus describes God as Father. Father, which means that we're children. And he says, instead of having to be an actor and performing, you can be a child. Now, not all of us have had perfect fathers. None of us have had perfect fathers. Some of us have better than others. But God is a good and perfect father. And the image Jesus wants us to see is of a child who is free in the certain and unconditional love of their father for them to just be who they are. To grow up. To not feel a performance bug, but just to, to be. And to enjoy their father and to act out of an overflow of their father's love for them. And, and even if sometimes there's a sense of acting in a way that doesn't feel natural because you're still trying to grow up, it fits because they're growing up into the family resemblance. The actor, though, is a terrible spot to be because the performances keep coming, don't they? There's always the next one. There, there's the anxiety and the buildup, and then you perform, you get the applause, and then the emotional crash. Because after the performance, now you're hungry for more. And it goes on and on, so you become a slave, actually. And I think so often anxiety lives there. And the, the feeling we have to keep performing, keep putting the mask on. What happens if I fail? What happens if mid-performance I slip up? What happens if the mask falls off? That's a terrible spot to be. As opposed to a child who knows the unconditional love of a father. I, I've got three little girls, and my two-year-old, when she brings me a piece of paper with some scribbles on it, I don't say, well, that's not Picasso, Right? I'm like, oh, I love the colors you picked. They're so pretty. And then, and then as they grow up and they start to draw like stick figures, right? And they can't color in the lines yet, but they kind of almost do. You're like, wow, that's looking so much more realistic. Good job. I really love how you're growing, right? And there's this, there's, there's this joy. And that's so much more freeing. And I just, 
I'm soaking here for a bit, friends, because if we don't get this, that the fundamental difference that Jesus is going to tackle in these three topics, prayer, fasting, and giving, is between a heart attitude that looks at the world as a stage where you must perform to get applause versus actually a relationship that you can rest in because you know you have the Father's love. That's, that's the difference that Jesus is putting on display. And so as we look now at giving, you're not going to hear me talk a lot about why you should give because that's not Jesus' point. He just assumes that we're giving to those in need. But Jesus is going to help us ask, why are we giving? Where's our heart? So let's look at verses 2 through 4. Jesus says, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. See, in the context of Jesus' day, the people knew Deuteronomy 15. It's a passage in the Old Testament where God told them, be ready to give to those in need. Don't close off your hands or your heart from giving to them. So it was a common giving practice. But Jesus is saying just because it's common doesn't mean there's not potentially something wrong. He wants to ask how. Why are you giving? The heart question. And so he, he puts out one option that he sees. The actor who's performing and who is therefore sounding a trumpet before them in the streets and the synagogues that they might be praised by others, right? Now, it's possible that there were real trumpets, maybe a call to prayer, but most likely I think Jesus is just talking metaphorically. They're trying to bang their own drum, draw the attention. If they're an actor, then they need to draw a crowd. They can't perform unless there's a crowd. So they go to the the public places, the streets, where beggars were and in the synagogues where there was a box to give to those in need and they do it in such a way that you can't miss what they're doing because that's what they want. They want the applause. They want the crowd. So you can imagine maybe uh, some friends walking down the road and they see a beggar and the one man starts talking to the beggar in a a voice loud enough to be heard three blocks over. Right? Like, oh, you poor man, let me give you so much of my money. And then loudly to his friends goes, I was going to buy dinner for us all, but I gave so much away to this poor beggar. We'll have to just eat a little bread tonight. And everyone goes, oh, he's so generous. He's so giving. And he's like, yes, I know. I'm so humble too. Right? And it's like Jesus is saying, that's what they're doing. Or maybe he's in synagogue and instead of just on the way out, just dropping some money in, he stops and prays out loud, thanking God for all the blessings he has and drops in the money in a very dramatic way because the goal is not to give. The goal is to get, to get the applause. And Jesus says, that's not okay. And, but we know what that looks like, right? To give, not to give, but to get. We see it sometimes maybe in the companies where you're like, are you really giving the community out of the goodness of your heart or because I'll give you a nice tax break and it'll look good for PR? Or with the culture where some, sometimes people only give if then they also get a name on a plaque after they give because... What I really wanted was the attention. Or maybe in the subtle and not so subtle ways, we share stories and kind of leak them out about our generosity. Because so, deep down, we want somebody to recognize us and pat us on the back and say, you're so great. Our hearts are deceptive, aren't they? We can take something that God designs good and it can be twisted up on the inside 
of our hearts, and Jesus sees it. And he says, it doesn't matter if they give more. It doesn't matter if they give sacrificially. They're giving for the wrong reasons. And it's off. It's not the way I want you to give in my kingdom, in my family. And it doesn't reward well. He warned us, if you give that way, you will not get a reward from your Father who's in heaven. Uh, I think of a story, most likely fictional, of a, a farmer who one time came to his king and said, oh, king, I, I've grown this uh, just great crop of carrots in my little backyard plot, and one of them is just the, the largest and most beautiful carrot I've ever grown. I just want to offer it to you as a gift of thanks. See, you've been a good king ruling over us, and I just want to say thank you. And the king receives it, and he looks at the farmer and says, you've been, you've been so generous and faithful so, so little. Uh, I'm going to put you in charge of all the farms around my castle. And the farmer's just blown away and leaves. And, and a duke who's in court at the time goes, hey, if the farmer got all that for a carrot, what can I get? So the next day, he comes and brings a magnificent, beautiful war horse he's bred. And he says, oh, king, this is this amazing war horse I've bred. And I just want to give it out of the generosity of my heart to you. And the king, seeing into his heart, says, thank you. He takes the horse. <laughs> he gets what he deserves. And the fact is that when we give to get the applause, it's not a great reward because it doesn't last. It doesn't satisfy. He says, you'll get it. If you want the applause, you can get it. But we all know, don't we? The person who is famous and applauded today, maybe within the hour, is eaten alive by the same crowd. It's fickle. It doesn't last. It doesn't satisfy to play the role of the actors not only enslaving to the next performance, but it will never give you a good reward. You may have spent lots of money to get it, but it doesn't last. It's vapor. It's vapor. And Jesus says, there's something better I have for you. I'm your good father. Jesus says, your good father has something better for you. A better reward, a better way of being. To so look at verse 3, he says, here's the way I want you to give. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. He's saying your giving should just be so matter-of-fact, so not attention-seeking that you could literally do it with your right hand and your left hand misses it. There's no fanfare, no trumpets, no attention-seeking. It's just overflow. It's just like you do a lot of things in your day with your right hand that you don't even think about. Just pick up a pen you didn't think about. You just needed a pen. You grabbed it. You're not thinking about it. You're not trying to get attention. It's just this overflow from the heart of life. And Jesus says it's because it's not about you. When it's not about you, you don't need to draw all the attention. I think of uh, two stories when uh, I was finishing up seminary. Uh, my wife Heather just given birth to her oldest, Eliza. And uh, it was around spring break. So still had a couple months of school left. I'm working two part-time jobs, trying to make ends meet. And, uh, you know, just funds are running low. And I remember one day going to school and checking my mailbox, and there was an envelope there, unmarked, no name. I opened it up, 400 bucks cash. Wow. Thank you, God. We needed that this month. Provision. Maybe, uh, another, and then later in that same semester, our, our car battery died. And it's like, man, we don't have the 100 bucks to replace our car battery. And one of my professors coming up to me just off the side at some point saying, hey, you guys just had a baby, right? I was like, yeah. He's like, you're probably broke, so here's 100 bucks." And that, 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 that met our need. Now, both of these stories, one anonymous, one not. 
But both of them, they weren't done for fanfare. They weren't done to get attention. They were just the overflow of generosity that blessed us. And I love telling those stories because the hero in those stories is God. Because I get to look at people and say, this is the kind of people our God makes. People that love to give. I love telling that story to people who don't love and trust Jesus because I find they often don't experience that same type of generosity in their lives. I get to say, my God builds a family that lives that way. And it's beautiful. God gets the glory. See, we can give in secret, Jesus says, because verse four, your father, the only one that actually really matters, sees in secret. It won't go unnoticed. It will will go noticed by the one person that really matters. See, if we're just called to be children, just giving out of the overflow, we don't need to parade it around. There's only one person that really matters. Like my kids, when, when they do drawings, they love to come up and show me their drawings, right? They're, they're not coming and knocking on everyone in your door showing the drawings, right? They just come to me. I'm their dad. They just love showing it to me. And there's just this delight in it. And Jesus says, that's the way our giving should be. Just this overflow of delight and joy in our Father. And that is a much better reward. Because the one giving us the reward is better. It's not the fickle crowd. It's your Father who is constant faithful and unwavering in his love for his children. Your father will reward you, verse four. And I don't know exactly what the reward is. Maybe it's what Jesus said. It's more blessed to give than to receive. That's just the reward. Maybe it's the reward of knowing that when we see our father face to face, one day he'll look and say, well done, well done. I'm so proud of you, how you reflected me. Maybe it's in seeing that enjoying God is better than enjoying our stuff as we give our stuff away. And we taste the goodness of true life in Jesus. But whatever the reward is, I know it's better because our Father is bigger and better and more faithful and he will not be fickle. So Jesus is saying here, there's two ways. One is not only much more freeing, but it provides a better reward. So Jesus wants us to say, the next time you're looking to give and you're tempted and battling your heart, I just really want some attention. He says, just stop. Just pause for a minute. Think. Do you really want the applause, as short-lived as that is, or do you want the reward from your Father? I think 1 Timothy 6 helps us kind of even think about this a bit. Paul's writing to a Timothy who's building up a church in Ephesus, and he writes to Timothy and says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. There's our good Father. They're to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Truly life. Don't you want that? Isn't that better than just the applause you'll get for a minute? Instead of having to perform all the time for a cheap reward, you get to just enjoy your father and overflow generously out of that relationship and enjoy his favor. Enjoy him. Enjoy that which is truly 
life. See, Jesus has been, here's two ways of giving, right? And he's saying it's not just enough to give with your hands, but you need to give from a giving heart. Now, I don't know about you, but that feels hard. Sometimes it's hard enough to give, never mind to give with pure motives. Because sin has twisted us up on the inside, so we're often bent towards selfishness, aren't we? The world revolves around us. And it twists us up. And maybe you're like, well, yeah, but that's just how it is. So isn't it at least better to give, even with bad motives, than to, than to not give at all? But I think that's just so often what we do is we think about the outside. We think about what we, what we can measure and the touch and the results. And God actually cares about the heart, not just the outside. And I think the reason why Jesus wants to get this is because from the heart, everything else flows. Augustine, a church father in the fourth century, has this great quote. He says this. Next slide. The love of honor is the deadly bane of true piety. Other vices bring forth evil works, but this, this desire to get praise, brings forth good works in an evil way. So God takes our hearts so seriously. God wants us to actually reflect him and not just be actors pretending. In fact, this is so serious that actually God often says that the greater danger to his people really reflecting him is not persecution from the outside, but our own acting on the inside, our own hypocrisy. So actually in the early church, in the midst of stories of persecution, there's a great little story, well, interesting one, I should say, of two people, Ananias and Sapphira. They're looking around and seeing how many people were doing what Jesus said. They were, they were generously giving what they had to serve the needy. So Ananias and Sapphira say, great, we want to get the praise, but we don't have to want to go through the work of that. So let's sell our land, and we'll pretend to give all the money so we can get the praise, but actually keep some of it back for ourselves. So they come, and they, they give the money to Peter, the leader of the church, and Peter says, is, is this all the money? They're like, yep. He's like, you know, the land's yours. You don't have to give us any of the money. You sure this is everything? Yep, yep, it is. We're so generous. We're giving it all. Peter says, you lied. And you've lied to God. And God will not tolerate a heart that's off like that. And today, you will die. And they die. God judges them that strongly. The heart matters. So true giving has a heart that seeks God. How can we really practice this kind of heart? Now, Apostle Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 13 that if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. If we're not giving from a heart that truly loves God and loves others, Jesus says it's worthless. It's not what I want in my kingdom, my family. But man, I don't know about you, but that standard of giving with a pure heart seems impossibly high, doesn't it? That's often the way in Jesus' kingdom. But the good news is that Jesus doesn't leave us there with an impossible standard we can't meet. But he becomes both a model, and that's because of that, a savior for us. And when Jesus lived and walked this earth, he did this perfectly. 
he, he would heal people and then tell them, you can just go home. You don't have to tell anybody. Because it wasn't about getting all the attention. Jesus knew that his approval came from his heavenly father, not from the crowd. And so he was free to do what his father had called him to do and not be driven by the applause of people. And even though he's the only one that perfectly lived this out, then he went to the cross and died. Took the judgment that every time we give out of a hypocritical heart, we should get. He took that on the cross for us. So we don't have to drop dead. Because he took God's wrath. He took God's judgment for our sin. And rose again. And sent his Holy Spirit to empower us to do what we cannot do on our own. To give us a heart that truly wants to be generous. And he looks at us and says, if you're hungry for approval, don't you know? You don't have to perform for it. I give you something better. I give you the approval from me that you don't have to work for or earn. In Jesus, God the Father looks at everyone who's trusted in Jesus and says, well done. You're loved. Because he sees Jesus. You don't have to perform. You don't have to act. You can rest. And it's when we rest there that generosity starts to overflow. A generosity that doesn't need attention, doesn't need approval because we already have it from the one person that actually matters, the God who made everything, who knit you together in your mother's womb, who sent his son to die, be raised again, to restore us. That's the God we just get to reflect. And so we don't have to be an actor. We can be just a child reflecting our loving, gracious Father. So I just want to end with maybe a couple reflection questions help us maybe diagnose our hearts and see where are our hearts. Are our hearts operating more like actors or like children loved by the Father? And first question do you give to those in need? Um, Jesus assumes we are, but maybe that's a good spot to start. Is there a pattern, not just of giving to the, the mission of the local church, but actually to giving to those in need around you? Is there a pattern in your life of that? Second, would you give if there was no benefit? Would you keep giving to those in need if there wasn't a tax benefit? Not that it's wrong to get a tax benefit, but if that was taken off the table, would you still give? Would you still give if no one patted you on the back? Third, are you giving out of a sense of performing or out of an overflow of joy in your father? I know as I was wrestling with this, God convicted me that sometimes I can give because I want people to see and be like, look how simply he lives to bless others because I want to be praised. The very thing Jesus warns us about. And when that happens, I develop a heart of competition, of judgment. Because after all, if I'm a performer, then I need the applause, which means you can't have the applause. I've got to get all the applause, right? So there can be this competition and performance mentality instead of resting in God the Father's love for all of us. And then we actually cheer one another on as siblings. I was challenging my heart. And then fourth... Do you ever give secretly? Not that it's wrong to give, you know, where your name gets attached, but is there ever a time when you give secretly? 
if Jesus says this is part of giving is that it's not about attention, then shouldn't there be maybe some times in our lives where the giving flows out and there's no attention drawn at all? Is there at all some of that in your life? It's a good question to ask. And I think as we wrestle with this, whenever we think about doing good things, whether it's giving or prayer or fast or anything like that, sometimes it's hard to know when's it okay to give publicly, when's it okay or better to give secretly. I think a good rule of thumb that, that I read from somebody else, so I'm stealing it, but I found it really helpful is this. Whenever we're tempted to hide because we're embarrassed about being connected to our Father, we need to shine. And whenever we really want people to see what we're doing, we probably should do it secretly. And that's a really helpful rule. Well, my prayers, I've just been soaking this text, and maybe we can make our prayers that both the Vine Church and Eastside Church would be known as places where generosity happens all the time. Where we could tell scores of stories of needs being met amongst one another, and yet there's no fanfare about it. There's no big attention-seeking. It's just the overflow. It's just normal. This is what we do. Because we've been so loved by a Father who gave us everything in Jesus. So that actually when people look at our church families, they would see a reflection of our Father and glorify Him. Let's pray. Father, Thank you so much that you so love the world that you gave. You gave your one and only son. There's never been a greater act of generosity or giving than that. So I pray first and foremost this morning, Father, that every person here would rest in, delight in, trust in your love for them because of what Jesus did to take sin and put it to shame on the cross and rise again, offering us new hearts, new lives in him. And I pray that as we rest there, that you'd free us from the desire to be actors. Instead, we would just overflow with generosity. That would just be the norm. And people wouldn't see us in that, but they would see Father, we need your help. Our hearts are so deceptive. Our hearts so quickly want to run back to getting all the attention. So would you just again and again call us away from that, to see the evil of it, to see the pointlessness of it, and to see the goodness and beauty of enjoying you, of seeking a reward in you, not anywhere else. Pray this in your name. Amen.